Welcome to this special edition of the Fremantle Press podcast. Today we are recording in Waliala in Wajak Nungabuja, and I would like to acknowledge and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. This is a place of Bula, Barup, many stories, and I'd also like to acknowledge our First Nations peoples as the first storytellers right across Australia. My name is Helen Milroy and I really love kids' books. I'm also an author and illustrator. I love hosting this podcast because we get to talk to fabulous and interesting people about their books. And today we have the fabulous Paula Hayes. So Paula is an Australian writer who enjoys writing magical realism for young people. This means she is good at making strange stuff up and setting it in real life. Paula has four adult kids, two grandkids, and has worked in education, which gives her an endless spring of inspiration for stories for young people. In a parallel universe, she studied at UWA, but now writes from a desk in her pantry. This has its pros and cons. Paula is passionate about children's literature and literacy and has a foot in each camp. Her latest novel is The Vexatious Haunting of Lily Griffin. Welcome, Paula. Thank you very much, Helen. It's lovely to be here. It's fantastic. So, Paula, a little bit about yourself first. Where did you sort of come from originally? I was born in Perth um, and I lived there until I was about 10 and then we upped and moved to Port Hedland for a while. So I did about eight years up there and then came back down, went to UWA and had four children. And (laughs) And stayed put ever since. And stayed put ever since, yeah. So, Paula, do you remember books as a kid? What what sort of books were you interested in growing up? I loved books. I had an aunt who was a teacher and she would just bring me books all the time and I loved, it's probably not correct to say, but I loved Enid Blyton and all of those sorts of stories. I loved Anne of Green Gables. Um, My favourite book as an adult, I know, Okay, what was your favourite book as an adult? The Great Gatsby. And that book continues to haunt and inspire me all the time. I've got a little girl crush on Zelda. (laughs) Um, It's quite a captivating story, isn't it? It is, yeah. Your latest novel, The Vexatious Haunting of Lily Griffin, can you just describe to our audience what what that's about? The rise and rise of one 11-year-old, Lily Griffin, and she's a shy, introverted, bookish sort of a girl. And she sent off one's holidays to her grandfather's house, which she loves. It's old and ancient and full of mystery and intrigue. Through that house, she encounters all kinds of different magical and um, mysterious beings that kind of give her a bit of a boost along and a bit of a kick along. and. she ends up being able to join the wider community and make friends and together they solve these uh, supernatural mysteries, a bit like Trixie Belden but with poltergeists Um, and she's able to deal with daily issues that, you know, are coming up too. Paula, what was the inspiration behind the Rosie Room? Now, the Rosie Room is a room in my maternal grandmother's house, Alice Prendigast, my grandmother lived in a very, very old house and we all spent a lot of time there. We loved her. My mum was a seamstress and there was just a room full of material and pins and patterns. But on top of that, there were other rooms because my grandmother had five children and she came from a family of about nine kids. It was like 
time periods, you know. <laughs> there was horseshoes and there was really disgusting painted coral and there were beautiful clothes made from the 50s and, and there was just boxes of letters and boxes of um, airmail and postcards and I just so enjoyed putting on some green eyeshadow and lipstick and dressing up in my mum's because my mum is tiny and I, I'm not. As a kid, I could fit into her things she'd left behind at the house, like her beautiful dancing shoes or whatever. Um, yeah, it was just a, a mismatch of crap in this room and I loved it. My mum would come pick me up and Nana would say, well, we have to wipe that off your face now and come out and <laughs> watch a bit of Mike Walsh and calm you down a bit till you know, mum comes home from work. I love that house. Even recently, my mum sent me a picture of the house in Bayswater yesterday. She went past and my dad took a picture of her out front of the house. The, the house was in the family for 40 years. Every time it's open, all of us troops through. We're not going to buy it. <laughs> that house was very, very special. It was just a house that my cousins, uncles and aunts, we just, yeah, it was a special place. A lot of fond memories. It sounds like yeah. it was a treasure trove of dress-ups and imagination. Yes, it was. Yeah. So how did you become interested in, in writing children's books? Uh, I've always written. It's just one of the things that I could do. Probably when my youngest child was, you know, could get their own wheat bix I started to really sit down and think about writing. So probably when I was about 40, I'm 51 now. I'm a late bloomer. Um, but I, I've, I wrote so many manuscripts. I have just, I just constantly write. So did you ever submit those manuscripts? How did you get to the point where you felt able to take that forward? I just had faith in myself. I just really thought probably too much faith in myself. You know? <laughs> now when I read back over it, I go, oh, my goodness. But there was just a gem. There was something in there that I thought maybe somebody might like to read this. Um, maybe someone else can get some enjoyment out of it or learn something. And you'd had that experience, I guess, as a teacher. So did that sort of give you some more extra confidence that you might have known what children might like or young people might like? Yes, I think so. Definitely having the four children. I've never taken my eye off what's what in kids' literature because children are spaced over 10 years and so I went from Harry Potter to Tashi to you know, whatever was coming in, we were so into. But, yeah, I I submitted some stuff to Fremantle Press and it was a no-go. And then I had a meeting with Kate, just one of those um, meetings from Squibby, I think, and I had all these different manuscripts to talk about, but I picked Lily and she said, I'm so glad you picked Lily because I think Lily's got a bit of life in her. And she made one or two very helpful feedbacks and, yeah, I went from there. Mm. Yeah. Paula, what was the inspiration behind the books? I think I was reading Harry Potter and then reading to my children all the time that the main character was always an orphan or an underdog. And I thought, well, what about the average little girl there that's just sitting in a bedroom minding her own business and is loved and everything's relatively functional, that old chestnut? Yeah, she still has to deal with stuff. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So, In fact, it's yeah. kind of a representation from most of the kind of kids around, you know, that, that maybe have an okay background, that, that they still can identify with this sort of story and the little girl in the story. 
Yeah, they're not living in the cupboard under the staircase. They're living <laughs> with a, a family and, you know, that all brings its joys and its sorrows and its craziness. And I can reach those sort of themes of identity and bullying and just by countering it with the supernatural. And I just hope that it comforts and, it, you know, helps a few kids escape. Yeah. Look, I, I do think sometimes we underestimate kids and what they can actually understand. And, and so I think that some of these complex concepts that you deal with in the book, I think some children would definitely be able to identify with all of that yes. and take strength from it for sure. Yes, yeah. that's the, the main goal. Yeah. So how did you know this one was going to be a good story? You obviously had that meeting with Kate. She liked it. You liked it. Was there something special about it? Lily just tapped me on the shoulder and said, get your laptop out, girl, we're going to do this. And it's just been like a beautiful vomit of M&Ms, you know. It just came out of me. The voice resonated with me and it was very authentic. I think I must be stuck as an introspective 11-year-old. It just felt very genuine and it came very naturally. So, Paula, is there a little bit of you in the book? It's a book that's incredibly close to my heart. I just... I guess I was a little lily and I guess I feel for the little lilies and all her satellite friends and and her brothers and these are real feelings in the book then aren't they Absolutely So um Paula did you get frustrated with your early efforts how was that whole process of becoming a good writer tell me a little bit about how that developed Well I started off with you know the <laughs> young adult ghost story that was going to illustrate the story of my um, uncle who went to France in World War One, and I just thought it was amazeballs, you know, and I read it now and go, oh, my God, Paula. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, it wasn't difficult. I think I just really, I just enjoyed it. I loved the research part of it. I loved the writing part of it. I loved the editing part of it. I have a, had a dear old aunt that was my beta reader and it gave her such a lease of life to edit and proofread and, yeah, so I thought I was amazing. I think my journey started when I had to really reflect and when I started talking to Kate because that's serious kind of feedback that you need to take on. Mm. How did that feel for you? Because some people are fine with feedback. Some people find it a personal attack. No, no, no. Look, I was very grateful for all the feedback Um, and then other people might say one or two things and I'll just get miffed and think you don't even get it. Just stop talking. (laughs) But yes, I am very, I'm very protective of my work. I get a bit miffed. Mm. So there's a compromise sometimes in writing, isn't there? Mm. There is a compromise because you can write and write and write, but if it's not going to touch anybody and you've just got pages of Mm. Kill My Darlings, then... What were you hoping that the kids or young people would find in your books? Well, I think number one is comfort and escapism. I went. I read Harry Potter as an adult after a, a tragedy and it just took me right out and I became addicted and I couldn't wait for the next book. I was right at that time where it was being freshly released every 12 months or whatever. Yes, you just enter a different world for a while. and But meanwhile, the themes of your own reality are still there and being picked at and pulled at and... Uh, gently examined through Lily's um, stern eyes. Yes, it's one of those things where children can see or young people can see it happening in the book to a different character. And although that's not necessarily their story, they still learn how to deal with it all or they still learn how to express it all. So in a way, it's still helping them, even if it's not their world at that point in time. 
Yeah. Lily and her friends have a little talk about what makes a bully a bully. They, they can't get to the bottom of it, but it's sometimes it's just inexplicable. Yeah. It's wrong. That's right. And it increases their understanding then and perhaps allows them to think about what they could do. And that it's not just them. It's a widespread problem that it happens in families, at schools, on buses. It's just one of those less fortunate human traits of our personality. Yeah, and something probably a, a, an enormous number of children have to cope with at some point yep. in their growing yep. up years. Yeah. So what were yeah. you hoping parents might find in the book? There's lots of issues there that are sort of you can pull out tentatively or um, examine. She kind of starts awakening to the issue of feminism. It's all very gentle. Mm. There's mm. nothing confronting about Lily, mm. but... She certainly digs her teeth in and gets to the bottom of it. Yeah, and, she's and, determined, isn't she? Yeah, she covers all the issues, you know. Mm. there's, I mean, even sibling bullying, that's a big one. At the end of book three, she kind of works out, well, her brother Lyndon was journeying through his own special challenges and it, she just couldn't see it, that he did have problems that were genuine and trying to get him to change, to fit in and be accepted by his father. It just didn't work and he'd rather be himself. So I think all the characters have to find their own truth, mm. find their own resolution. Mm. And it's hard to raise those things with your parents sometimes, isn't it? You know, these things yeah. happen commonly in families. But, you know, yes. how does a lily bring that up? And so sometimes yeah. the book then opens up that conversation. Yes, I really hope so. Mm. What was that like for you sort of transitioning from one sort of career to another? I was basically a stay-at-home mum for a long time. Then when I, I went back to work, I ended up doing early childhood education assistant and I didn't want to be the teacher anymore. I wanted to continue my writing and um, and just continue being with children without all the extra work. So, yeah, I ended up doing a stint at the DCP, looking after children at educational risk. So I was going into schools and going into homes to help um, First Nation children, and I loved that. may have been a difficult experience at times, but it sounds like it was also an enriching experience for you. It changed my life. It was, I've met so many good people. I've just, yeah. Did you have any setbacks along the way in terms of your writing or getting your books published? Well, after Lily, there was a dry spell. <laughs> Um, I wanted to get into young adult. I left Lily behind and, and started on this desperate goth story of it set in Fremantle about convicts and ghosts and reincarnation and love and betrayal and, and I still haven't found a home for it. So I went back to Lily. How did you get the motivation back to finish off the Lily stories? I went back into my little closet and I, I wrote about a third of it and I gave it to my aunt and she loved it and then when she passed away everything kind of didn't have my beta reader and but then I looked at it and I thought I'm just going to finish you off and then I just was off again it was a little hiatus and I assuming you you missed your beta reader yeah she's a bit like my Gigi (laughs) sounds like she was a really big support for you she was she held my hand my whole life yeah. And yeah. I was going to ask you about that. It can be a lonely pursuit writing books, um, often in your own head or in your own room, you know, writing away. What yeah. did keep you going? Obviously, you, you clearly had some family support. Were there yes. other supports around you as well that, that helped you? 
I do have a very dear friend who's now my beta reader and every now and then we'll have coffee and she'll read it and go, yes, no, yes, no. Or she she just gets it and she can take a character off on a tangent. Yes, my imaginary friends have become her imaginary friends too and it's just really, it's really nice to have such a good friend like that. Mm. That would take a lot of trust then in letting them read it and give you yes. feedback and all of that. Yeah. Well, we've been friends since we were about 13. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a long time. It is a long time because I'm 51 now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How do you look after yourself in this industry? Because it's a tricky industry to be in. Well, I think you were talking before about how it it's a solitary occupation mm. and then you've suddenly got to go out and be hilarious and shine. Mm. I find that exhausting. <laughs> I can do it, but... Maybe a bit terrifying? Absolutely. Oh, <laughs> no, book week. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's not my natural state of play. Mm. I'm much better off in the closet. Mm. But that's something I need to work on, and I really want to work on it and push myself to develop those skills this year. Yeah. And certainly yeah. kids love seeing authors, don't they? They love having a chat. and Yeah, I took my um, nephews to part of the, the children's aspect of the Fremantle Writers' Festival and they were like, eh. and But as soon as this author started talking and he had them engaged and we went off to find his book. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a really, it is a big part of it. Mm. And the parents get to see you as well, of course, and so... They're going to have the same sort of experience as their kids in a way. They, oh, that's the author and we know her now yeah, and yeah, let's yeah. go and get the books, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah exactly what we did. Mm. So, Paula, what are you working on next? At the moment I'm working on Atlas, Eyes and Winger and Trouble from, the, from Beyond. It's another supernatural book but the main character is a, a 13-year-old boy and Everything sucks. Um, he just wants to be normal, but he's in this family that he's, is weird. But he um, ends up working out a family secret and it just takes him off on this supernatural tangent where he has to forget about being normal and, and laying under the eye level and just playing it cool and just embrace all his crazy specialness. I guess I've just been one of those kids that had the imagination that the dolls were coming alive and that the grandparents were coming back from the dead, you know, as a seven-year-old. Yeah. I thought of the other mm-hmm. and how exciting and interesting that is and terrifying mm-hmm. that is. Mm-hmm. Um, In the creative space, it gives you endless possibilities too, doesn't it? Yes, it You can does. sort of do anything in that world and so it creates the perfect mechanism or perfect medium in a way to be able to explore all sorts of different problems and issues and come up with quite innovative yeah. solutions. Yeah, with the safety net of yeah. the magical. Yeah. 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 What is your message to the audience about storytelling? Reading and storytelling are a part of who we are. It's it's a very basic part of who we are. And it kind of annoys me that authors and, and um, writers and illustrators don't get the sort of monetary validation that perhaps a footballer does. And yet... People still like their Netflix and their stories and their books. Um, I kind of feel that we're undervalued, but really stories at the heart of it. Everyone has their own story. Everyone has a family story. Trusting in yourself and sometimes you've got to say, as Lily would say, piffle to logic, you know, (laughs) story's important. 
Well, we live our life through stories, don't we? That's how we remember and that's how we learn and that's how we pass on the stories to the next generation. So I completely agree with you there, Paula. That's everything, everything to me. Yep. Well, Paula, thank you for chatting to us today. If (laughs) limpo. Well, thank you, listeners. If you enjoyed our chat today, subscribe to the Fremantle Press podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Helen Milroy, and I have been your host today. Join me next time as we continue our journey into everything books. Bye for now.